appreciate it, man. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Good to see you. Man, we're the children a blessing. I hope you come back tonight. And if you haven't seen Frozen, I don't know what planet you're living on. But anyhow, um, man, when I first heard of the movie Frozen, and my seven-year-old was talking about it, I was just like, man, that sounds like kind of a movie that's not going to go very far, you know, and not be that big a deal, kind of have its season. And now it's like, you can get coffee mugs that are frozen, coffee mugs. I mean, you know, we were, she went with me yesterday. Uh, we were out at Bed Bath Beyond because I was wanting to get a couple new pillows. And, uh, and she went with me. And right there in Bed Bath and Beyond, there's all this, there's all kinds of frozen stuff. I mean, they got fake Elsa hair you can get. I mean, they got all kinds of stuff. So anyway, so, but really tonight, I just be praying for the children. Come out and of course, I mean, the children, I mean, many of you folks here are probably the parents, but come out and support them. Even I think about the teenagers. I know teenagers say, well, tonight we'll kind of check out or mom and dad drop us off over here. We'll do something. And, but I know Joe would say this. I mean, it can be such an encouragement to the younger children to see teenagers that they look up to here encouraging them. I could still remember when I was in sixth grade and back then sixth grade was in and children. I don't know, different churches do it different ways now. That's a whole other subject we won't get into. But anyway, um, I was in sixth grade vacation Bible school, and, and I had a part in the play that we were doing at the end of vacation Bible school, and I still remember teenagers coming up and giving me encouragement. And so students, don't, don't forget the role that you play in helping to encourage these younger, younger folks in your church fellowship. But it is good to be here with you today. I um, I mentioned my seven-year-old, and I've mentioned my family a couple of times that I've been here, and I'm thinking some of you are really wondering if I really have a family. You're thinking I just maybe made them up just to kind of make me look good or to kind of help have an introduction, but there's their picture, and I did not Google that, all right, and just and copy it. from. That's not somebody else's children. Those are my kids, all right, and uh, Melissa's there in the middle, and uh, that's Mark there. He's Melissa's 15 in the middle, Mark's 12 there on the right side, and then there's Jenna, she's seven. And I want you just to remember that mental picture, all right? Just take a snapshot, let that be kind of our family's Christmas card to you. And isn't that wonderful? Look, they're almost like touching and they're smiling, all right? I mean, so you gotta, you gotta grab those moments. And so Lord willing, Jennifer and, the, and, our, and our offspring will be here next week. And, uh, but appreciate your prayers during what we call an interim. And, and here's the reality with, with an interim. Do you know all of us are interim? Have you ever thought about that? Just think about that for a minute. I don't want to get too philosophical, but really all of us are interim. I mean, all of us, all of us really, the Lord Jesus tells us, we have today. You have today on this earth. You have now. You have this moment to worship and serve the Lord Jesus, to follow him, to lead others to follow him. We have right now. And I know oftentimes we worry about tomorrow. And, uh, and that's just kind of how we're bent. That's how we're made. It's hard not to worry about tomorrow. It's part of having a good plan. We have to prepare for the future. It's because we're human beings, all right? But understand this. We have actually right now. Quite literally, we have right now. And so today, my hope is in this sermon, as we even go through this Christmas season together, that in this sermon, you and I will be reminded that what really matters right now is for us to really grab a hold of the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. And out of all the conversation that takes place, what really, really matters is that truth. Jesus Christ is Lord. And I challenged the 930 crowd, and they were catching, catching on. So you know what? I'm, 
I don't mind a little competition. I'm going to see how this 11 o'clock crowd does because already leaving at 930, those folks were saying Jesus Christ is Lord. So I'll just kind of give you kind of the closing challenge is that out of all of what you might want to talk about in the life of this church, I want you to put at the top of the list the words Jesus Christ is Lord. When people ask you, hey, how are things going over at Mount Pleasant? I want you to look at them and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. All right? Jesus Christ is Lord. Because when you drill down, that's really, really, that's really what it's about. And that ought to be your prayer. And this time that should have been our prayer. And I'm not saying it wasn't, but I'm just giving you that reminder. And in Philippians chapter 2, direct your attention there for a few moments. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at this very, very classic passage of Scripture. It's considered one of the greatest fancy seminary word here, Christological passage of Scripture. In fact, many people think this was actually a hymn that the early church would sing together, all right? And they would sing this Scripture. And it would remind them during times of of, of hardship. I mean, remember in the first century, there were followers of Christ. They were being arrested. Some of them were, were being made to fight gladiators. Some of them were being fed to lions and And what they would cling to is this marvelous confession of faith that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's what they would be forced. They would try to force you to say Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And you know, 2,000 years ago, at what we would kind of look back and call the first Christmas, everybody was talking about Caesar. No one was talking about Jesus hardly. Just a few folks. They would try to make Caesar is Lord. And those first century Christians would say, no, I'll pay my taxes, but I cannot say Caesar is Lord. And at that point of refusal, when early Christians would say, Jesus Christ is Lord, it was at that point that many of them, many of them faced extreme persecution. And so in really much less trying times right now here, December 14th, 2014, sitting here in this beautiful facility on the corner of these streets here in this town called Colonial Heights, Virginia, at this church facility that you call Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. My prayer for us is this, is that when people hear about Mount Pleasant, when people hear about the people who gather here, that they will say, that's a church, they're not perfect. But that's a church that is proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen? Amen. That's really my prayer for us as we're on this journey together. So stand with me, if you would, in honor of the Scripture. Let's stand together. As we stand to read the Scripture today, just remember this. You need to be standing upon God's Word as you go through today and as you head into the next week. So let's look at verse 1 and following. Follow along in the Bible. Here's verse 1, chapter 2. So... If there is any encouragement, and right there, you know, when you come to church, wouldn't it be good if you leave encouraged? He says, so if there is any encouragement, not just, we're not making stuff up, he says encouragement in Christ. Any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, he says, complete my joy. Now, here's where you get your highlighters out. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You want a recipe for a healthy church and what we ought to be known for here at the Mount. There you go, right there. 
We ought to be known for being in one accord in unity and humility and ministry and serving others. And he says, verse 4, remember, he says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then he says, have this mind. Have this mindset among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You know, I'd like to think that we can begin to articulate together what I might just call the mind at the mount. The mindset that we'll have here at the mount. And that is this mindset that we must be in one accord. That we must humble ourselves before the Lord. Because understand this, our encouragement is in Christ. Our encouragement is in Christ. Our comfort is from his love for us and our love for one another. We ought to be participating in the spirit. We ought to have affection and we ought to have sympathy for people. And then he kind of gives you the whole theological, the whole backbone for why we ought to be like this. Look at this in verse 6. He says, who? He's talking about Jesus here. Who? Though he was in the form of God, listen to this, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's everywhere, by the way. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. Father, we do pray today that you will be glorified as we're gathered together. And Lord, I pray right now that you will just remind us of what's so special about you, Lord Jesus Christ. Remind us. Help us to see again a story that far too often we kind of gloss over because it just sounds so familiar. Yet, Lord, today I pray that you will help us to never, ever think about Christmas or even you, Jesus, perhaps the same. Oh, Lord, I pray the words, my mouth, the meditation, my heart will be pleasing in your sight. You are my rock and my redeemer. I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Be seated. By the way, in your bulletin, there's a little note page. You can take that out, fill in the blanks for those who like to do that kind of stuff. And you can draw pictures, write whatever helps you learn and remember, all right? And so let's get into it. Perhaps you've heard of this. You know Dasher and Donner and Prancer and Vixen. Comet and Cupid and Donner and... Blitzen, but do you know the most famous reindeer of all? Rudolph. Did you know that Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer, turned 50 years old this year, this Christmas? Is that shocking or what? I had a, I had a, I had a brother at the last service. Uh, he, he comes up, he says, man, he says, you, you talked about encouragement. You discouraged me. He said, I'm leaving church today, and I'm realizing that I'm older than Rudolph. And, 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 I wa- and we watched Rudolph this week, and our, and our kids watched Rudolph, and I was kind of amazed that my 21st century children were willing to watch Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, my older ones might kind of dispute that a little bit. Man, the seven-year-old, she was glued. She was, like, totally locked in. And I'm sitting there watching this cartoon, and it's kind of jerky little movements that it does. You know, for, if, I, if my facts are right, I think that was actually filmed by some folks in Japan back in the day and they took these little model characters and they would actually move them little bit by little bit and that's how they video that. That's why it looks different than just a normal cartoon. I also heard this week that Charlie Brown's Christmas, 
He turns 49 this week. Next year is going to be a tough Christmas for him, all right? He turns 50, so God pray for him. But if we're not careful, what we do is Christmas becomes about all these other characters. It can become about Rudolph, the red-nosed reindeer. It can become about Charlie Brown or Frosty or pick your favorite character. Maybe you're into the Grinch. Every church got to have a couple Grinches, but that's just how it goes. And, you know, I mean, so maybe you got your character, all right? Well, I want you to understand that there's something very, very special about Jesus. And here's my point over the next few weeks. If we're not careful, Christmas doesn't just become about Rudolph. It becomes about us, doesn't it? It becomes about us. We begin to make our Christmas list. We begin to think about what we want to do for Christmas. And here's my big point. Christmas is not your birthday. Christmas is not your birthday. Now, if December 25th actually is your birthday, man, you, I, that's tough. And we will have counselors after the service for you, all right? Because I've known a few people, December 25th was actually their birthday. And this sermon might work for you. I don't know. But, but, but for most people, it isn't. But you get the point, right? Usually what Christmas becomes is it becomes more about us. And there's a parallel here, if you'll catch it. So does church. Church oftentimes becomes a lot about us. Now, part of it's just because we're human beings and we're frail and we're weak and we sometimes have short tempers and sometimes we can be selfish. And it's part of that battle with our sin nature and the spiritual nature and the life of a believer. But understand this, it's not supposed to be that way. Church ultimately cannot be about you or me. Just as Christmas isn't about you or me, it's about Jesus Christ. And why, why? Should it be that way? It's because Jesus, well, is very, very special. And that's what I want to point out to you today. I want to use really three words. And the first word is crib. I want to take you to the crib of Christ for a few moments. And and I want you to just remember and to not forget, maybe in your notes. In fact, fact, if I had a whiteboard up here or something like that, I was going to... I was going to draw you a real simple little manger. And this is a very simple little manger. My seven-year-old and I, we made this yesterday. And, and men, if you want to, um, for several years at the church I pastored, every year we would build mangers. We would, that was something the men would do with kids. And we have kids come from all around. And, and maybe you've done this before. And, uh, and you could probably build one a lot better than this. But, but we built this yesterday because you know what? I, we got to remember there was a crib. That's a really crude crib. Your baby's probably a lot, lot nicer crib than this. In fact, you guys have like a little manger scene over here. It was a feed trough. That's what it was. That's what they laid the baby Jesus in. But I want to just pause for a moment today and to just look at the crib. Because, see, the crib of Christ really has a message for us. You see, when you look here at Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 6. The Bible says, who though Jesus, he was in the form of God. That literally means that he has the nature of God, that he has all the characteristics of God. In fact, he is equal with God. He is God. The Bible goes on and says, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. You know, understand this. The Lord Jesus Christ, it's a mathematical equation. You could write it like this. Jesus equals sign God. See, some people, when they think of Jesus, they say, well, he was a great teacher. He was a great prophet. Just remember this. Jesus Christ never himself ever claimed to be a great teacher or even a great prophet. What Jesus would accept was when men and women would proclaim and worship him as God. 
For instance, even back to Bethlehem, I think back in those early days when the angel said it to Mary, Luke chapter 1, verse 31, you will be with child and give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. Luke chapter 2, verse 49, later on, Jesus would say this to his own uh, earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? His disciples said it, Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus' enemies, they asked him in Luke 22, verse 70. They all asked, are you then the son of God? And he replied, you are right in saying I am. Even the evil spirits, Mark 3, verse 11, whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. God the Father himself, Matthew 3, verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased. Just write this down. You can go read John chapter 10, verse 31 to 39. There's this whole episode there where there's this conversation about Jesus being God. So I want you to understand, when you look at the crib, remember this. He's always been God. Jesus has always been God. But at that stable in that little town of Bethlehem, he was born a man. He was born a human being. When you look at the crib, never forget that he's always been God. But when I look at that crib, I also see the heart of God. I also see the heart of God. Because when I look at that crib, I'm reminded that Jesus Christ himself was, the Bible says, willing to empty himself. Now, that doesn't mean that, the, that, that, that his godliness, that his deity was subtracted. No, what it means is that he added to himself everything of what it means to be a human being. And have you ever thought what that means? For the God of the universe, the God who is creator, the God who is the sustainer of the universe, for God himself to add to himself humanity. He just didn't come and take the form of a human being. He didn't just come and, 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 and be God inside of a human body. No, the Bible reminds us that he absolutely absorbed all of what it means to be a human being. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. Hebrews two seventeen. For this reason, he had to be made, listen to this, like his brothers in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Listen to this. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he never, ever sinned. Amen? I mean, that ought, that ought to get your attention. That ought to wake us up to understand that, that the one who was and always has been and always will be God was born as a human being. When you look at this crib, it ought to help you and me just, we ought to be humbled by his willingness to endure humiliation. 
I've seen three babies born. I've seen three babies try to come to terms with living in this world. You saw their pictures. Now, they're, they're bigger there and dressed and all that. When they, when they, I just think about when they were born. <laughs> when they were born coming into this world, born in this world, that doctor grabs them and they begin to handle them and, you know, wash them and do all of what they were doing and then put them in a blanket and here you go. And, 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 and I just think about those babies, those precious little babies, they just begin to kind of cry out. Cry out. Feeling hunger pains. Feeling cold or hot. Lights. Noises. Going through the humiliation of what it means to, to need to have a diaper change. I mean, just think about that for a moment. Don't make your theology so complicated that you miss how profoundly simple yet magnificent the thought of what it means he was always and has always been God and now he's born a human let that sink in that's your Lord that's my Lord no one has ever been willing to travel further or give up more than Jesus himself. Just why? 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 Just so you and I can know God. Just so you and I can experience peace. So you and I can have a relationship. So you and I can have more than just this. It's an amazing thought to, to just look at the crib this Christmas. I think about in Luke 2, where the Bible says, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger. There was no room for them in the end. John 1.14, the word, the son of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. When you look at the crib, I just think about those shepherds, what it must have been like when they walked in there and, and they'd heard the proclamation of the angels and, they're, and perhaps they're even thinking back to things they'd been taught back there in, in, uh, in, in, in their Hebrew school about the promise of the Messiah and the one who was going to come. And then they walk in to this stable and they see this manger, this feed trough of a crib, and they come in there and they must have just been like, this is... This is, the, this is God with us. This is, this is Emmanuel. I mean, can you imagine? Can you just imagine what that must have been like? Look at the crib. Look at the crib. But then you read on. You read on. And the Bible says, verse 8, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And that brings me to the cross. You see, a lot of people, you know, they'll be okay with that, won't they? Baby Jesus, baby Jesus. But, you know, in a few weeks, they're going to take all that stuff down. 
And we're going to put it in the attic. We're going to put it in a closet. And we're just not going to think about Jesus. We're not going to sing anymore songs. But what about this cross? This cross here that we made yesterday is quite literally made out of the same wood you used to make those mangers. Just reminds me that Jesus came, was born, laid in that crib, but began to live his life heading towards that cross. Give his life on a cross. The Bible says, listen to this, don't miss this. He was hum- he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of even death on a cross. That w- they, that's in there for a reason. That's not extra. That's on purpose, obviously. You see, the Persians perfected crucifixion as a form of capital punishment. The Romans adopted crucifixion as capital punishment really to keep the massive and majority slave population in line. The idea was crucify some slaves on a cross, make it absolutely cruel, humiliating, the worst kind of death imaginable, and we'll keep the slaves in line because the Romans feared a slave rebellion almost more than anything. Cross. As you may have heard, a Roman citizen could not even be crucified because the cross was considered so cruel. That's why the apostle Paul, we're told, was not crucified when he was martyred for Christ, but he was beheaded. Now, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to take the time, or you can read, and I'm not going to go into the account. Some different doctors have even written wonderful articles on, on the whole gist and understanding of what crucifixion would do for a person. But today, I simply want to ask you, Look at the crib, but don't stay there. You've got to move on, okay? You, gotta, you can't just hang out in Bethlehem. You've got to go to Calvary. And you need to look at the cross. And don't ever, ever forget what Jesus Christ our Lord did on the cross for us. You know, why? Why? I think there's a couple reasons. One, to display God's love for you and me. The Bible tells us that God demonstrated his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. To display God's love, but to also pay for our sins. To pay for our sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 2.24, he personally, the Bible says, carried the load of our sins in his own body when he died on the cross. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. See, that's why as a church family, when we come together and we look at the cross, we ought to remember this is, this is, This is what we unite around. All of us, all of us fall short. There are none of us that have, we just got a little bit more going for us than you've got, man. I worship just a little bit better than you do. There is no, no place for that in the body of Christ. You can't do that. You understand the only reason that you and I are even even acceptable at all to God. The only reason that our worship is ever, ever acceptable, he can make the rocks to cry out and worship. The only reason our worship is acceptable is because Jesus makes it so. Amen? And let this, just let this sink in. You look at the crib, you look at the cross. You know, it's been said that Jesus, this sounds a cute little saying, Jesus is the reason for the season. But I want you to remember something. You are too. You are too. You're the reason for the season. These people right here, right now, that are driving by us on, this, on these roads out here, heading to the mall and all this stuff that they've got going on today, you understand they're the reason for the season too. And so are you. So am I. 
I want you to just look at the crib and I want you to look at the cross, but then there's one more, one more key word. It's the word crown, crown, crown. What a king wears, a crown, the crown of Christ. Look at verse nine. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want you to understand something. When you look at a cross, and rightly so, a cross today, a Christian cross, ought to be empty. When I look at a cross and I see it's empty, I always think not only is that cross empty, but so is the tomb. You see, Jesus has on his crown. He's not in the tomb because he's on his throne. Tweet that. (laughs) He's not in his tomb. He's on his throne. I want you to remember that. The crown of Christ reminds us that Jesus Christ is not some type of dead, famous teacher or prophet. Listen, I've been to Grant's tomb. I've been to Washington's tomb. I've been to Jefferson's tomb. I've even been by Elvis Presley's tomb. And I'm telling you, they're all in it. They're in their tombs. But Jesus isn't, amen? Jesus isn't in his tomb. That makes what we're about, that makes what we're talking about, that makes who we're worshiping different than anybody and everybody else. He is so incredibly special, church. He's not in the tomb. He's on the throne. The, listen, the name Jesus, in New Testament times, it was just, it was a very common name. It was, wasn't that unusual. It was kind of like John or Jim today. But Jesus means salvation is of the Lord. And that's why so often in the Bible, when they talk about Jesus, they're specific. They're like the Jesus of Nazareth. But make no mistake about it. His name may have been common when he was born but there is no other name by which people can be saved than by the name of Jesus that's why we're here to know him to make him known to proclaim his name to live for his fame to be about Jesus you know really Really, I, I've been thinking about because I've, I've never really, I'll be honest with you, I've never really done this role before. I've been a pastor of a church. Spent now about a little over two and a half years working in about 640 churches. So I've seen a lot of different churches. But this is, this is kind of exciting in a way, but challenging in a way, this experience we're going to go through. Because I've, so I've been thinking, Lord, what, what would be, how... What kind of vision, because that's kind of what I was used to doing, casting vision and kind of leading it out and building a team. And let's go get them, church. What, what would you have me to do now? And, and I'm, starting, I'm just starting right here. For us to simply, simply come around this phrase, Jesus Christ is Lord. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Yet, isn't that what it is about. Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, this this time of year and really every time of year, people just have so much 
going on. There's, you know, people will fret. They'll get discouraged. They're, a lot of people are all wrought up about things. And, and I'm reminded of the year 1939. It was a very tough year to live in Great Britain. It was during what we call the Battle of Britain in history. The Nazi Germans were just bombing them and rockets were hitting them. Just imagine hearing air raid sirens and having to go run with your kids to an air raid shelter and coming back in your house being gone. In 1939, the British government designed a series of posters. You've probably seen those around lately. Keep calm was the theme. Keep calm and carry on. I went to England to meet some of our missionaries this past year and and it was interesting being in these places where you could see people were like, in this shelter, in this, in this what they call the tube right here would be like a subway for us. This is where people gathered to get away from the bombs in 1939. But what's interesting is if you research about those signs, those keep calm signs, no one was talking about them until after the year 2000. Because actually what happened is the British government printed thousands of them. They just never hung them up. They never did anything with them. In fact, a few years into World War II, they took all, most of those posters, and they shredded them and recycled them and used the pulp for other purposes. In the year 2000, a British storekeeper happened to find an old poster, hung it up, and he just began to get requests for it. And now you see keep calm and whatever, you know, fill in the blank. There's all kinds. You get coffee mugs. You know what I'm saying. It's kind of like a frozen thing, but anyway. (laughs) And I want to give you something to remember. Keep calm. Jesus Christ is Lord. I want you to remember that. Keep calm. Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, there's a world out there. There are neighbors out there. They need to hear us say, we know the Prince of Peace. They need us to be able to say, we know the wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, Mighty God. He is Jesus Christ. Amen. God with us. Amen. Keep calm. Come, Jesus Christ is Lord. So I want to give you the challenge that in the days, weeks, months, even as we leave today, I want to give you the challenge to make Jesus Christ is Lord your motto. Make that what your life is about. The Bible says that every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It is time for us to bow down before Jesus and to speak up with our voices. Amen. So I want to ask you just to bow your heads in prayer with me as you get ready to kind of have our time of response after the sermon. And I want to give an invitation, first of all, if there are deacons maybe in this service, I want to ask you to serve by leading. I want to ask you to just come and kneel here at these steps. Maybe you teach a Bible study group, you're a youth leader, or you're in some type of role where, or maybe you just feel led to come up here and just kneel right now. I'm gonna ask you right now, don't wait for any other instruction, just come. I was so encouraged at 930, you see a staircase full of deacons just praying. Different roles of service, just, just come on up right now. You just kneel in prayer. And may this be an encouragement to our church family. And you're here today. Maybe you've got something weighing you down. Maybe there's something haunting your walk with the Lord right now, or your fellowship even in this church. You may just need to come and kneel down up here today and just lay it at the altar. Say, Jesus, you're Lord. You're Lord.
your Lord, your Lord. Jesus said, come to me. Over the next few weeks, let's be about that. Let's be telling this community, come to the mount. Jesus is Lord. Come to the mount, join us. Jesus is Lord. It's time to fight the good fight, and it's time to press on. Maybe you're here today, and you have never personally said, Jesus Christ, be my Lord. During this song, I'm going to invite you. You just... You step out of where you're going to be standing and you come down front. We're not going to embarrass you. We just need to know God's working in your life. God knows he's working in life. I don't. It's hard for me. I'm not a mind reader. I want to invite you, invite you to come forward. If you've never, never confessed Jesus as your Lord personally, and we're going to talk with you, pray with you, have someone encourage you in the Lord. Maybe you've never been baptized as a believer. You come forward today and you can make that commitment. And maybe you're here and you've just never united formally with this church family. I'm going to invite you. You say, well, this is kind of during an interim time. and Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you get it? Do you get it? That's what matters. Father, move among us, I pray. May we go through this day with that piercing confession. Jesus Christ is Lord. Work among us, I pray, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this song of response.